Man, there is, there's, seriously, is nothing like spending time in the Lord's presence. Are you guys rested up? You feel good? I'm not gonna belabor it tonight. We're, we're here to respond to the Lord, so we're gonna, we're gonna do that tonight. If you've got your Bible, you can turn to Acts chapter nine. It's been such an honor to be here with you. Um, really, we do count it as an honor and a blessing to, to even be asked. I don't think I'm anything special. I'm just a guy. Um, being obedient to the Lord, and so we're, we're just so grateful to come and minister to you. Hopefully, the Lord has touched you in some way. Um, yeah, I'm flying out tonight at 2 in the morning to head back. We have a big meeting tomorrow at church, so I'm flying in to uh, Ames at 5.15 to get to a meeting at 6 o'clock at Ames. So I'm putting a lot of my faith in American Airlines, unfortunately. It's not wise. The Lord is going to have to help us. Tonight I want to talk about what a Jesus people looks like. People whose lives are defined by the one in whom they follow. When you give your life to Jesus, he gives you not just a changed life, like you've heard me say, he gives you a new life. You know, when, when Peter, when Jesus gives Peter a new name, right, there's something significant to that. You know, the words, the, the name Simon means like reeds that are tossed to, to and fro, and then Jesus changed his names to Peter, which means like a rock, speaks to stability and uh, uh, strength, something in which when we read the Gospels, we don't see in Peter, right? And so Jesus is, is speaking prophetically in what he sees in Peter. And the same is true for us. It doesn't mean we all have to change our name unless the Lord, you know, like I said the other night, gives you some cool nickname, uh, like Turbo or something like that, you know? <laughs> um, but what it means is it's a change in identity and a change in the culture of your life. The culture of your life, which will mean that a, a redefinition of what your priorities in life are, your ambitions and the things in which you run after. You know, when I was your age, we had a, a fall retreat much like this, smaller than this actually, but in a, we met in a cafeteria because the group was so small we didn't get the chapel. And, uh, but we were just hungry for the Lord. Like we weren't trying to do anything. We were trying to build anything. We just wanted Jesus. And I remember that Saturday night service, uh, the speaker that year, he challenged all of us to spend an hour in prayer every single day. Every single day. And if you missed a day, start over. He said, if you do that, and specifically pray in, your, in the spirit, pray in your prayer language for an hour every single day, and it will change your life. So me and my brothers and a couple other guys, we used to we started getting up early in the morning, which I'm uh, I've always been a night owl. I've been someone that likes to stay up late, and, and the early mornings was you know my my brother now he's, he gets up at like five in the morning, which God bless him, that's amazing. I don't voluntarily get up at five a.m. Um, 
would get, like there was a sacrifice. And so we, we used to get up early and go to the church to pray, which was not something we normally did, but it said something about what we prioritize and what we want. You know, you can say all day long, this is what I value, but your, what comes to bear in your life is, will prove to be what you actually value. Right, like today, I, I could tell you all day long, I, I value, one of my chief values in life is working out, right? I don't work out. I know that you're surprised. <laughs> uh, I don't work out. So I could say, man, I think, um, I think uh, what CrossFit is like the best thing ever. It's a big value in my life to work out and be healthy. And then you could follow me around for a week and be like, well, wait, you don't work out at all. So you say this is your value, but this is what you do. And what you do really says what you value. And so we would get up early and we'd start to pray. And as we, the, the weeks went on, more would, more would come with us. More students would, would come with us. And by the end uh, of that month, we continued on in that time. I don't even remember how long we continued on. But the Lord began to move in our midst. Like, we started to experience what we had all cried out for with, like, revival, where the Spirit began to move. And students would start coming to our meetings, and during worship would get healed or baptized in the Holy Spirit. Students would give their lives to the Lord, and no one's even preaching, and no one's even, like, like uh, exhorting them to give their lives to the Lord. Like, there's just a draw of the presence of God. And the group just began to explode. And we were a lot like, hey, we got to have this strategy to grow our group. We just wanted Jesus. And as Jesus was exalted and lifted high, he draws people. And before you know it, we had you know, anywhere from five to 700 students meeting on campus. And God was moving. And out from that movement, and you're, you guys are all here. <laughs> Pastor Steve was, a, I remember, just a, a wee little freshman. I remember meeting him. He looks exactly the same. He just... <laughs> He just has a beard now. He has a beard now, and he's got the same amount of energy, though. <laughs> it's really quite something. Um, but God began to move, and out of that movement, there's, I don't even know how many people that are in other nations or in ministry today or affecting their churches in leadership at their churches, affecting the place in which they live. And I don't say that to take credit, I say that when God takes seriously those who take prayer seriously. The prayer meeting is, the place of prayer, there is no showing off. If you wanna read a book that you'll read and you'll be like, am I even saved? Uh, read the book in a, in a good way. It, it's called Why Revival Tarries by a guy named Leonard Ravenhill. It's a short book, each chapter is like a page and a half. But it, it is jam-packed. Why Revival Tarries, T-A-R-R-I-E-S. But there is no showing off in the prayer closet. When we gather together in, in, in prayer corporately, there is a corporate sound that resounds that God says these people, like I was talking about this morning, he entrusts himself more. He said these people actually want me. They don't just want what I can do for them. So he's gonna redefine the culture of your life. I wanna encourage you students from this weekend, take seriously the, the place of prayer, not individually, on your own. Find time every day and get alone with the Lord. When you're driving in your car, make, make the most of every opportunity to talk with Jesus. 
And don't just talk at him, but talk to him and listen to him. If you want to learn to hear the voice of God, you have to listen. And then gather and pray. I know you guys have a, have a Chi Alpha prayer meeting. Listen, prioritize that. There, I've seen great truth in Matthew chapter 6, verse 32. It says, the Lord knows what you need, so seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. I've seen that principle uh, held true time and time and time again in my life and the life of others. Seek him first. If you prioritize his presence, your grades will be better, your relationships will be better. Um, you will walk in the blessings of the Lord. doesn't mean that your life will be easy, but there will be protection and provision in that place of the Lord. Prioritize that place and come together and pray. There's a stirring of faith and a unity of faith that comes when we gather and pray. Amen? We need to be about his call on our lives. He has a mission for each one of you. And it's actually, sorry, it's a co-mission, meaning it's co. It's not just a mission. It's not your mission. It's his thing. And we're on the ride with him. But he's partnered with us. That's why it's, it's a, a co-mission, not just a mission. We are in partnership with him. And listen, we have to be, take seriously, like I said, this redefinition of the culture of our lives. What we've come to know as normal in normal Western Christianity is not normal when we read the Bible. I know a guy who um, was in prison and never met a Christian in his life, didn't grow up in a Christian home, didn't ever go to church, and while he was in prison, he got saved, gave his life to the Lord. And he started reading his Bible, and he thought, man, I can't wait to get out of here and go to a church. And he, he got out, and he went to a church. He walked in, and he was like, and it was just dead. He's like, what is this? What is going on? He left that church, went to another, the same thing, offering lip service to the Lord. And so he was like, man, either this is wrong or what I'm experiencing is wrong. And when scripture doesn't live up to our experience, a lot of times we will lower scripture to meet our, our own experiences rather than think, man, there must be something wrong with what I'm seeing in my life. And as a young person, we have this, this it can, we see the ideal and we see where we're lacking and so we can get up and say, you guys are all doing it wrong and you stink. Instead of being a catalyst for change, having a pure heart before the Lord, running passionately after him and people will follow. Often we can see a disparity between what we see lived out in our own lives in Scripture. So we need to align ourselves with what the Scripture says, and so that's what we're gonna read tonight. One of my heroes is a man named Reinhard Bonnke. Another book you should read is A Life of Fire by Reinhard Bonnke. This, unlike the other book I told you, is a very large book. Um, and if you wanna listen to the audiobook, he actually reads it, and it is just the best. It's like 30 hours long. He says this, he says, the mystery to me is how the life-giving message of Jesus can become dead. How a fresh move of God can become stale, but it happens. The first step, I think, is when methods are enshrined and any new wind of the Spirit is resisted. Old ways are repeated without inspiration and we've forgotten that the Lord seeks a living and growing relationship and he resists being entombed in a method, a building, or an organization. He wants you. 
So I want to ask you this question tonight. What would your life look like if you were walking in the power of the Holy Spirit every day? What would your life look like if you were walking in the power of the Holy Spirit every day? If you had your mind and your heart set on the things of the Lord, it doesn't mean that we neglect our studies and our responsibilities. No, he has a high priority for stewardship, for being a hard worker and diligent. But what would your life look like if you walked in the power of the Holy Spirit every day? Would it look different? So in Acts chapter nine, we see this. I wanna share, it's just a little story, but I just love it because it really just defines kind of what a, what a Jesus follower should be. So this is eight years after Pentecost. So it's been well established that Peter's life has been completely changed and what it means to follow Jesus and, and to be a child of God has been firmly established. In verse 32 of chapter nine, let's read this. As Peter traveled about the country he went to visit the Lord's people who lived in Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas who was paralyzed and had been bedridden for eight years. Aeneas, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you, so get up and roll up your mat. And immediately Aeneas got up and all those who lived in, in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. Man, that's one little paragraph. What an insane story. A man paralyzed for eight years. Notice Peter doesn't pray this long, elaborate prayer. He's not trying to twist God's arm. He's just walking in the power and authority that God has given him through the Holy Spirit and the blood of Jesus. And this man who's paralyzed is completely healed and gets up. And what happens? All those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw the man and turned to Jesus. Wow. Three things tonight. Attributes of a Jesus people, which is what you're called to be, a Jesus people. If you, for Chi Alpha, you know, you're not about, it's this following Jesus is beyond your, the organization that you're a part of, the student org. When people come to Chi Alpha, they should say, man, these guys love Jesus. I have never seen, never known a people that love Jesus like this. So, number one, a Jesus people are about the Father's business. So, it just says that Peter's traveling around the country. He went to visit some people that were following Jesus that lived in Lydda, and there he found a man named Aeneas. When we hear, see that word found, it, mean, it kind of sounds like he just stumbled upon them, right? He just like stumbled upon it, like, oh, I uh, was walking down the street and I, I found a $100 bill, oh, that's great, that's so great. No, actually, the, that word found means to like seek out. Like his eyes were open, looking in the same way the Lord looks for someone whose heart is soft, for someone who needs to feel a touch of the presence of the Lord. He was about, he was just doing what he saw Jesus do. Jesus is our great example, that's what 1 Peter chapter two tells us, he is our example. So 
So Peter found this man, which means, but it means that he was looking. His eyes were open to the needs of the people around him. This, if you're gonna be this type of person in life, this means that you have to be willing to be inconvenienced. It means that you have to be willing to be uncomfortable. It means that you have to be willing to, be, to look like a fool for Jesus. You know, 1 Corinthians chapter one says that the, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to thus, those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And that means the possibility of being misunderstood. But I think about my life. I think about the people who stuck out their neck for me. I think about the people who had hard conversations with me. I think about the people who, who stepped in my path for me. And I know in this room there are many of you that if it weren't for certain people in your life, who spoke into your life or interrupted your life, you wouldn't be sitting here today. We like to give ourselves lots of excuses. Mm, I'm introverted. Or I, I, have a, I have a checkered past. Hopefully hearing my story has rid you of thinking that. We, we, we think, oh man, what would I even say? I, I messed up. I don't. I, I I gotta wait until I get some things in order in my life before I before I, I really step out in faith. Man, if we wait for that day, it's never gonna come. There's always gonna be more. You're never gonna be perfect on this side of eternity. And he's not expecting that. He's expect he wants progress over perfection. But we have to be willing and open to the Holy Spirit. And we can't give ourselves excuses. We give. We had this, I knew this one girl one time, she was like, she was from Chicago. And uh, she was just really rude all the time <laughs> to everybody. And she's like, well, I'm just from Chicago. That's how people from Chicago speak. I was like, wow. Okay. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's true. I have met a lot of rude people from Chicago. But man, what a, what a terrible excuse for a follower of Jesus. When you give your life to Jesus, your life is, refined, is redefined. All cultural excuses, all ways that in which you were brought up, all those things are out the window. Now we belong to a kingdom, and we are kingdom people and kingdom-minded people, which means now that, like Galatians 5 said, the fruit of the Spirit are evident in our life. We have to be about his business. There was a, uh, a couple, few years ago, you know, sometimes when you pray for people, you don't get to see the fruit of... Um, like I'll leave here this weekend and I maybe I'll, I'll pray with you or something happened this weekend. I'll never get to know and that's fine. I don't need to. I like to know the testimonies because it's, it's encouraging to me. But we don't always get to see it and we're just faithful. You're just faithful. You plant seeds. Sometimes we plant seeds and sometimes we harvest. We all want to harvest but there's no harvest without seeds. So we have to sow seeds and we don't always get to see it. One one day my friend Luke, he called me and he said, hey, I have this friend that I work with that I've been talking about the Lord and he just found out he has brain cancer and he has five months to live. Can you come up to Cedar Rapids and can you meet us? 
and can we, can we talk with him? I said, oh, sure. So I drove over to, over to Cedar Rapids, and we began talking. He didn't have a relationship with the Lord, and obviously something like that is like life-shattering. And I didn't need a word from the Lord to say, this guy wants to give his life to Jesus. And so I asked him, I said, his name is Cliff. I said, Cliff, do you want to give your life to Jesus? And he said, yes. And so we prayed right there. And then he began to tell me a story that he, he's got this brain tumor and he's got five months to live. And the only reason he knows it is because his son was also had cancer a couple years before that. And they had done some genetic testing and found out that they have a gene in their family that every male in their family for the last 100 years has had cancer. And so it was almost like a, a, a foregone conclusion. They were, he was gonna get cancer. And so, like I said, we prayed for salvation and we're in this like grocery store. So we're not in like this, what we would consider like a sacred space. But again, anywhere you are, if the light of God is in you, it is light. And I remember I'd place my hand on his head. I prayed, Jesus, heal Cliff in the name of Jesus. I prayed the cancer would go. I gotta tell you, I didn't feel goosebumps. I didn't feel any heat in my hands like I sometimes do. I didn't feel any of that. And I went on my way. Two months later, Kayla and I and the kids, we moved uh, from Iowa City to Ames. And I never thought about it again. Two years later, I hear this testimony of Cliff um, standing up at the church that we used to be a part of, sharing the testimony about what the Lord had done, that God had healed his cancer. And not only that, but since then they have had a son. And they did uh, genetic testing on that son and the gene that had been in their family for over 100 years was not in that son. God had broken it off. That was it, it was done. Listen, people are counting on us. That's not that we live this life condemned that we're gonna miss it, but there are people around you that are literally begging for someone to share the hope of God. Imagine all the things that you think about in a day. Imagine the turmoil that you have going on in your mind certain times, and then imagine people without the Lord. The hopelessness in which they feel. If you don't know, if you've been in a season of your life where you didn't know Jesus, think about the hopelessness in which you felt. There are people all around us that are desperate to hear the hope of God, to experience the power of God in their life. And we owe it to them to be about the Father's business. Listen, he doesn't have any other plan. There's no plan B. His church is the plan. We are the plan. Number two. Jesus' people are dependent on the Holy Spirit. Notice he says, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. He doesn't say, I, Peter, heal you. There's no power in, in, in Peter himself, but he recognizes where the power to heal comes from. It comes from Jesus. And so we need to be dependent on the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is calling us into greater childlikeness. In our church, I, uh, we, we teach our, our kids how to hear from the Lord, and they are, man, they get words of knowledge. They pray for healing um, for one another. It's just, it's wild down there sometimes. <laughs> we have one of our Chi Alpha girls um, years ago, she said, man, I think if Jesus came to church, we think a lot of times he'd wanna be up here with us, but I think he'd be with the kids. And I think that's true too. There's a, there's a childlikeness that God loves about kids. They just wanna believe. They wanna believe. 
They haven't experienced some of the disappointments that we've experienced that cause our faith to be shaken. We need to be dependent on him. And listen, fear comes when we depend on ourselves for results. And listen, we should be fearful. If it's dependent on me, we are in trouble. If it's dependent on you, we are in trouble. That's why we look to him. You know, I, I define faith like this. Faith, it says that is the substance of things hoped for. What is the substance? The substance is Jesus. Faith is more of a person than it is a thing. Faith is like when, when, when Jesus becomes so real to you, when he's more real than your, the disease, when he's more real than the difficulties that you're facing, when he's more real than your circumstances or the darkness that's in front of you, when Jesus is so real to you that it's easy to ask him for the big things. The great A.W. Tozer says this, whoever defends himself will have himself for a defense and he will have no other. But let him come defenseless before the Lord and he will have for his defender no less than God himself. We are a conduit, we are instruments of the Lord. We're like a, we're like a hose in which the Holy Spirit just flows through in us and out of us to those people around us. We have some friends who um, about a year or two ago took a huge step of faith, faith and started a, a ministry out of their home. They own a little acreage and started a ministry out of their home to, to serve and minister to uh, missionaries and pastors and, and uh, married couples who are hurting. And it was a big leap of faith because they have five kids and uh, bills to pay. And if you start something like that, it doesn't automatically just fill up overnight just because you want to start. You're like, here we are, yay, congratulations. And then everyone flocks. That's not how it works, you know. And so they started this thing, and um, it was, it's been pretty slow to start off because that's how things like that work. Well, recently, I was, I was at coffee with my friend, and he said, we've been really challenged because they were, they were, you know, they would charge people naturally to come and, and receive ministry, to come. They have a cabin out in the woods in which they send people to just get away. And then they come and minister. Well, all those things cost th money, right? And so they would charge people when they came naturally. And one day my friend was in prayer and he said, I felt the Lord saying, we're not supposed to charge anyone anything. We're supposed to depend on him completely. And he was thinking, what? Oh my goodness. If you want to read, uh, sorry, I'm giving you all these book options tonight. If you want to read another good book, read the book, uh, The Biography of George Mueller, an incredible man of faith. Saw God experience incredible provisions um, in his orphanage. So anytime we take a step of faith, you got to understand that time of testing is going to come. It just, it happens. So right after that, his wife's uh, a crown, his, she split her tooth and a crown popped off. Um, the next uh, week, his son got shot in the eyeball with a, um, a Nerf gun and tore his iris. Uh, the next week, they were at Christmas in, in, back in North Dakota, and he drives this big truck, which you guys know about big trucks here. Uh, he was driving this big truck with these big tires, and two of the sidewalls split. $1,800 for new tires. 
All of a sudden, all they say, okay, Lord, we're gonna be completely dependent on you for our finances. And then all of a sudden, all these big financial bills start accruing. And so what do you do? You have that moment to say, Lord, I am believing you for this. I am believing, you, you spoke this to me and I believe you spoke to me and so I'm gonna believe it. The next week, someone gave them $750 for no reason. Um, a couple weeks later, some people that they know decided um, that they were going to give them a house. Did you hear me? A house. For ministry, to do ministry, to expand their ministry and be able to do more. The next week, this guy that he would do some work for called him and said, he's not a believer. He called him and said, hey, I've got this van. I, I forgot to say, their, their, their van broke down as well at that time. <laughs> they didn't have a van. This guy who doesn't even know the Lord called him and said, hey, I've got this 2018 um, Honda Odyssey. And I don't know why, but I just I've thought about, I think I'm supposed to give it to you. Gave him a van. So I gotta tell you, they're flying pretty high in faith right now. But listen, something happens, like I said, like I told you before, when you prioritize the things of the Lord, let him show, him up, show up for you. Sometimes we don't even give God a chance to show up for us. We're like, God, I trust you, but I'm gonna make sure I got all these other things going. Just in case. That doesn't speak of faith, doesn't speak of trust, does it? But Jesus' people are completely dependent on the Holy Spirit. I've seen it time and time again in my own life. I could sit here and give you testimony after testimony of God's provision in our life. God giving us above and beyond what we could ever, ever do on our own. Sow good seed and you'll reap good harvest. The third thing is this. Jesus' people are full of faith. There is something within all of us that knows that we were made for more. And we settle. We settle for less. And it must grieve the Lord at times, our small prayers, how we believe him for so little when he's capable of so much. God is never offended by big, outrageous prayers. Big, outrageous prayers indicate a heart of faith. It might seem ridiculous to you. What did we read last night? Nothing is impossible. It might be impossible for man, but nothing is impossible for God. So pray big prayers, prayers that seem outrageous. You know, I'm the answer to an outrageous prayer. I was the one in my family that was like the unsavable one. I was in the, in the one in my family that was too far gone. My brother used to say, Tony, I used to pray for you every night and it felt like my prayers came, would go up and just come down and hit the floor. And night after night, I would pray, I'd pray and pray. He said, and then one day, it all changed. He said, the greatest miracle of my life, and we've seen some insane things. He said, the greatest miracle of my life is still seeing my brother come to know Jesus. He got up in front of his whole class and shared that day how Jesus had saved me. Pray big, expect the Lord to move in your life. Faith is demonstrated through obedience and action. What does James say? James says that faith without works is dead. 
Malia, would you come back? We're going to respond here in a few moments. We need to recognize that wherever you go, wherever we go, God can use us to see people be made whole all around us. That that person who sits next to you in your class, who you can still smell the alcohol in their breath, you can see beyond what they, what's shown on the outside. For that person who's just always mean at work, that God allows you to see, see, see past the hard exterior deep within that give you eyes of the Lord to love people beyond what you're capable of loving. And have faith for something more. Think about what you're asking God for right now. What are the things that you're contending for in your life right now? I don't, listen, I don't mean this in any way of condemnation. I hope you don't hear that. But it, it is an indication of, of what we think about the Lord. What are you believing him for? Do you have people like me in your life that are just seem so far away from God? Look at the life of Saul, right? The one who's killing the Christians now is one of the, 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 the great apostles of the day. There's nothing too difficult for him. Psalm 24 is a prophecy about Jesus. It says, who is this king of glory? He is mighty. And he is mighty in battle. I was recently speaking at a, a, a Kayafa leaders event where leaders from the region had gathered. The night before I was praying, I heard these two words. And there's, listen, there's times, even still for me today, when God says stuff to me and I'm like, can you make it sound less weird? <laughs> like, or can you, can it just be something else, please? Like, I'm telling you, I, it's not like I've graduated from this. Like, there's still parts of me that's like, oh, all right. But that, that length of time, that period of time in which I wrestle with God has become much shorter. <laughs> and I'm hoping that one day, Every time the Lord speaks, I'll be like, yep, I'll do it. But I heard the words death blow diagnosis. And I was like, well, what does that mean, Lord? And that was all I heard. And there was nothing else. And I was like, okay. So I wrote it down. The next night, I'm speaking at this, this event. And you know, there's people in the room that I respect and love and, and I knew many of them. And it was at the, the end, we were, we were ministering and I said, I feel, last night I felt the Lord say these two words, death blow diagnosis. And as soon as I spoke it, the Lord told me everything that it meant. I said, there's somebody here tonight that you received a diagnosis this week. And it didn't, it wasn't like a diagnosis of death, but it was a diagnosis of like, it felt like a death blow of discouragement, like the last straw, like it took all the wind out of your sails. I said, is that for anybody? And then it was crickets. <laughs> it's like, anybody here? And no one, no one responded. I was like, and I, I remember saying, right, maybe they left. And finally, right in front of me, this young woman raises her hand and she says that, this is for me. 
had no idea what was going on in her life, but we went down and we prayed for her. And God was just touching her. Just touching her. Afterwards, her husband came up to me and he said, man, I almost ran up there and raised her hand for her. He said, this week we just, we found out we were pregnant. And we were, I was so excited, but my wife and her family has a history of miscarriages and difficulty. Her mom had several miscarriages. Her sister wasn't able to get pregnant for years. And so it was this thing that caused anxiety in her that when she got pregnant, she was like excited, but she was very tense about it then the next Friday they found out just that so this was Sunday night that Friday they had gone to the doctor and found out that she had an ovarian cyst that they were going to have to do surgery on and didn't know if they were going to be able to keep the baby and she said it was like a, it was like a death blow of discouragement and God touched her I just spoke to him this week everything the baby is fine the cyst is not a problem it's gone Jesus healed her and we're praying that that, that baby's gonna be delivered in, in five months from now, amen? There are times as you walk with the Lord that you're gonna step out in faith and he's gonna ask you that question, do you believe me or not? And there are people's lives that are gonna be dependent on it. I wanna ask you again the question, what would your life look like if you were walking the power of the Holy Spirit every day? We're gonna to respond tonight. And many of you in this room, you need to get baptized in the Holy Spirit. You need that power to be a witness on your life. And the Lord is gonna to touch you. So let's stand across this room. For some of you here tonight, For some of you tonight, you need God to reignite a fire in your heart and a passion for the context in which you're involved, whether it's your workplace or your classes or your university, that God has called you into that place to be a missionary and an influence in that place. What if God called you to campus for more than just getting a degree? What if there are lives that are gonna be marked by your obedience to the Lord? But tonight, maybe you just need a fresh filling. I'm not gonna twist your arm tonight. I am not gonna beg you to come. The Lord wants to touch your life tonight. He wants to give you more of, your, more of himself. He wants to reignite the gifts of the Spirit in your life. He wants to use you to do amazing and great things for his kingdom on your campus and the rest of your life, not just here. But set something beautiful in motion. So if you want to touch from the Lord tonight, just come forward, just come forward. Whether it's a baptism of the Holy Spirit or you just need the Lord to touch your heart in a new way, just come and find a space up here, like just like we did last night. Just come, get out of your seats, come. healing in a little while, but we are, we're going to do some business with the Lord now.
Jesus, we come with open hearts. Jesus, we come with open hearts, declaring you as the king above every other king. The king of our heart, the king of our life, the captain of our salvation, the pioneer of our salvation, the one who's gone before us in all things. Jesus, Jesus. your life tonight. You are never going to be the same. Just put your hands out in front of you to receive. I'm going to pray for you to receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus says if we ask for the Holy Spirit, he'll give it to us. He is the baptizer. The only thing that you need to do is receive. There's no striving in this place. It's only yielding. But I'm going to give you some instruction. I'm going to pray for you. And some of you, you might feel the presence of God like you've never felt before. You might feel warm tingles throughout your whole body. You might, your whole body might get warm. Your knees might begin to shake. Your hands might begin to shake. Your, your heart might begin to race. Or none of that will happen. You might start to feel peace like you've never felt before. You might not. You might feel something warm bubbling up in your belly might not. But the truth is, is that Jesus is faithful to his promise. There's a reason it's called the promise of the Father. Psalm 145 says that he is trustworthy in all of his promises. He is faithful. But one thing that you're going to experience is all of a sudden you're going to feel something rise up within you and it's going to be a language that you do not know. It's not as much as important as the words that you're saying or that you, you won't understand it, but it's that your spirit is beginning to pray. In Romans chapter 8, it says that the Holy Spirit helps us how to pray with groanings that no man can understand. So you're going to feel this, and all you need to do is open up your mouth and just speak. That's your, the, new, the gift that the Lord has given you, the prayer language. It's a beautiful tool that he's given you for greater intimacy and intercession. And so you just speak that out. Jesus, right now, search us and know us. I want you to allow the Lord to search your heart. God, is there any wicked way in us? Is there any bitterness or resentment? Is there any offense in our hearts?
Is there any area of hidden sin? If any of these things start to come to the surface, just begin to confess those things to the Lord. Cleanse them again in Jesus' name with your blood.